This is the e-commerce brain trust, a podcast about building momentum online for established consumer brands. Join our hosts and their expert guests for high level conversations about e-commerce strategies, trends, and innovations. Access our brain trust and boost your brand's e-commerce potential. Hello and welcome to the e-commerce brain trust podcast, a rare in-person interview today at Etel Boston with Josh Clarkson, who is the director of digital at Russell Stover Chocolates, which is part of the Linton Springley group and leads on all aspects of D2C, marketplace, digital content, digital advertising, social media and retail media. Previously, Josh worked in Europe for Lint UK, Kraft Heinz, Ferrero and Red Bull. When he isn't discussing marketplaces and marketing, he's flying transatlantic, taking long walks with his dog Toby and trying to keep up with the Kansas City Chiefs. True. American football is very new to me. Well, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so we're here at Etail Boston and you were um, speaking on a panel at Etail this year called Marketplace Management, Making the Most of Partnerships. So are you able to give us the Cliffs notes from that session? Yeah, I think um, because Marketplace is a bit of a newer channel to most businesses, the same approach needs to apply to when you think about things like D2C. You need to understand first and foremost, what do you want it to be? Do you want it to be a brand new sales channel and you want it to be really profitable because it's going to grow far quicker than any of your other channels? If that's what you want, fine. Make sure you set the, the basis for that. Equally, that might not be right for your brand. So maybe you instead use it as a marketing tool and then you set it up completely differently and you you run it as a marketing tool that, yes, you may also get some sales on, but it's not really designed for that. So yeah, cliff notes are before you do anything, figure out what you want to use that channel for. Hmm. That's an interesting approach. I guess the, the pushback that you probably have heard a number of times is about making each channel profitable in its own right. So what would you say to that? I think it... It varies by structure of company. So especially with digital teams still realistically being quite new, certainly in CPG, you can tell how a business has decided to go about things like e-commerce, whether it's marketplace or another channel, by where that team sits. Sometimes it sits within uh, a retail function they may have already had and they expand with a website. Sometimes it, it sits in marketing because, as I say, they decide it's a it's the same as social media. It's a, an advertising tool. And then sometimes it sits in sales and they say, I got a lot of money in Walmart. I want to do the same with Amazon or I want to do the same with Customer X. So, uh, yeah, the structure is probably what makes it out now. And that's why it's so hard, because however you set it up before, if you're already in this game, very hard to pivot. Yeah, I can see that. I speak with brands that have, you know, one of three setups. Generally, there's iterations of each. But like you said, within a sales function, within a marketing function or within a center of excellence. How is that? What is what is your setup at Russell Stover? So we have just started completely building it out. I think we politely didn't, didn't really know what we were doing. It kind of bounced around and should it sit under sales? Should it sit under marketing? So we've now set it up and, and we're expanding a, a team within our, our retail structure because we have our own stores as well. Mm. Um, and so naturally that's where our, our website, russellstover.com sat. So we thought we'd build out from there. And I think that's that's really helped us because actually we already had quite a lot of knowledge within our team that, that look after our DTC platform. And so building a team around them that was then going to look after um, what we call click to mortar or retailers.com, um, 
marketplaces, as we start to dip our toes into social commerce, that's helped us as build a nice a nice team there. And then more globally within the the group, we have that kind of structure in most markets now. And then we have a central, very small team that sit in Switzerland and offer guidance. It's kind of our center of excellence, but it's also we're a decentralized model. So mm. they're there to guide, not necessarily always to to tell you this Mandates. is the way we now do it. Mm. Excellent. So going back to your session at 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 Etail here, um, so many things come come out of that discussion. But what questions did, did you have questions after the session, or did you have other uh, folks come up and ask you questions afterwards? I think the the biggest one is kind of linked to what what you said earlier. Is you know, oh, it's it's nice to say that's how you should structure it, but it's too late. We're already in. How what do we do next? How do we go about changing our marketplace because it is growing? two, three times faster than the rest of our business, but it may or may not be a little bit more dilutive. I think that's a common message I hear. And the answer is you do it in exactly the same way. You know, when I was at Craft Heights, I started there in in uh, the UK and I, I looked at their kind of marketplace business and they were selling every single SKU. Everything was there. And that's, that's the first thing you need to look at is mm. you don't need to sell everything. You don't need to offer you know, they call Amazon the everything store, but it's only everything if you upload your products. You can use that as a, a leverage tool with with marketplaces. And it depends on if you, you know, going through a, a 1P model or a 3P model. But if you're in a 1P model, use your assortment as a leverage tool when you go into your negotiations. Say, you know, I'd love to offer you these new products, but I don't know if I can do it based on these supply chain um, challenges that I've got or based on the chargebacks I've got. So yeah, the, the common question is, it's all great. Thanks very much for the businesses that are just starting out, but I'm already set up. How do I fix it? And the answer is you just go about it exactly the same way. Be be ruthless. Decide what you want the marketplace to be for you as a channel and then go after it. Mm. Yep. I did a fireside chat with Jason Del Rey, the author of Winner Sells All, and, and that was his advice for brands, actually, when I asked what's your advice for brands often have a challenging relationship with a Walmart and, and an Amazon. And he said, no, no, first, no, if you have any leverage. And generally, the larger the brand, the more leverage you, you have. And some brands, unfortunately, if, if you're not a strategic account for Amazon, you don't have any leverage. So accept that and understand you know, that you need to play their game. Yeah, I actually, I was in that session. I, that was the first thing I wrote down when he said it. I think it's, you know, knowing, knowing what your, your niche is that you can offer the brand and transparently, you know, moving to the US and working with the company I work in and the two sister companies, learn very quickly. Our, our marketplace business isn't as big as our competitors. But actually, that doesn't mean we're not a strategic partner. That doesn't mean, so don't just say, you know, am I worth X? If I'm not, they're not going to be interested in talking to me consider what you can offer them, consider how you can streamline operations in a way that's quicker or better. If you're a dynamic, smaller business, that means you can actually offer things that larger businesses might take a year to put in place. You know, you might have a, a better assortment strategy. You might have that one product that actually really is unique and that's what you've built your business around. Or you can create that product because that's what most retailers want nowadays is, is that kind of new product that's only for them. So um, yeah, I think it's spot on. You kind of figure that out. That is re really good advice. So shifting gears a little bit um, and talking about your professional journey, how did you get your start in e-commerce? By accident, which I think should apply to most people 
especially people my my age are a little bit you younger. You didn't have an e-commerce degree from. Uh, shock! <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. Um, uh, that was not an option when I was at university. I was working um, for one of the big uh, big brands uh, in the UK, Ferrero, and I started with my customer being like, "Oh, maybe I could take on responsibility. This is interesting. I'm I'm seeing how online at this retailer is affecting our offline business. I'm seeing that it's starting to move. This was you know quite a few years ago, but starting to move more omni-channel. I'll start paying attention. And then when I moved to to Lynn, actually, I started doing a bit more of that, and I I started having to ask questions where we actually had someone who could answer them for me. And the more questions I asked, the more they were like, okay, you're actually interested in this, not just as a, I don't know, is it going to help me get my bonus or whatever? Is it actually going to help me help me professionally and, and you know, progressing? And, and from there, I, out of the blue, got offered an Amazon job when no Amazon experience. And What year was that? Uh, oh, God, should I have my LinkedIn in front of me? About five years ago. Okay. Yeah, so it wasn't super early in terms of brands adopting Amazon as a sales channel. No, yeah. definitely, definitely not. It was, in fact, it wasn't even that long ago. It was, I know exactly when it was. It was two months into the pandemic because all my, wow. they did a little, they said, would you like to interview for this role? And I was like, yeah, but it's all got to be virtual. Can you tell me how to use Teams and all the, yeah. if we need to do it on Zoom? So yeah, it wasn't that long ago, actually. Wow. I was looking at your LinkedIn and it looks like you came from the sales side of the house earlier in your, your career at, at Ferrero, at Red Bull, at Lint. And so what do you take away from that sales experience and, and use now in your current role? I think e-commerce more than anything, you see, you see it all the time now, CFOs challenging e-commerce as a diluted part of the business. So what you really need to ensure you have within your team is a really rigorous commercial understanding of your own company. And that goes beyond what someone who perhaps works on, uh, you know, a non e-commerce focused big box retailer, what a salesperson there needs to have, because actually you're no longer just looking at the profitability. Once the order's in, you're looking right down to what's the operational cost to serve this customer. How complex is it? You know, e-commerce opens up a huge challenge around mix. You, Mm -hmm. you, especially for, for websites like Amazon, they're demand-led, not supply-led. The, the consumer decides what product they want to buy a lot of, and that product appears further up the page, and thus more people buy it. So um, that's why you need to be really careful about things like assortment when you're setting it up, or if you're already set up, really think what you want your assortment to be, because it will. I almost guarantee it for most big businesses, your best-selling product in a, in a Walmart, in a Tesco, in a Carrefour will not be your best-selling product on Amazon. And so your now as a leader and and someone hiring people and managing them and executing, do you believe that sales experience to be completely necessary or a nice to have? Or how do you think about the skills necessary to come in and and be participate and and deliver on your team? One of the things for for certainly my team know this because I ask of them quite often. Um, But for most digital teams, you need to be able to to just get stuff done. You might have to wear multiple hats. You might have to go and talk to supply chain versus, you know, someone who works on a big box retailer who never talks to their supply chain colleagues or finance or operations. And I, I'm stealing this a little bit from a, an interview I saw with Obama a couple of years ago, but that's that was his career advice. Learn to get stuff done. People will hire you because you'll show you can just figure stuff out. Mm. And I think that's, a, especially having not had, like you said, 
no no business or e-commerce degree. I didn't start to move my way up. I was thrown in at the deep end. I feel very fortunate for that. So when I hire, I'm not looking for someone with 10 years of Amazon experience because 10 years ago, Amazon was completely different. I don't need a, a social media manager who can tell me that they've worked on product X, Y, and they know what they're doing there because they, in my experience, sometimes aren't open as much to new ideas or doing mm. something different. And the industry changes so quickly. You need people that are. Yep. That makes a lot of sense. So you're a transplant from the UK and, like you said, desperately trying to catch up with the Kansas City Chiefs. Understood. Um, in which ways is the e-commerce landscape different there? We're thinking about things like buying habits and what should digital commerce managers know about serving different markets? One of the the big learnings for me versus working in the UK and across Europe is that in the US, unless you are the Hershey's, the Coca-Cola's of, of, of the world, you don't, often don't have really rounded joint business plans with your customers, certainly not ones that are going to develop into three and five year plans. So you do have to be a bit more dynamic and sometimes take a lot more ownership of how you work with them when it comes to online. That's been a steep learning curve to you can't just build a pillar of your, your JBP as an e-commerce pillar because the JBP might be a small agreement about products you're going to take and we'll try and activate this thing with you. So it's a, a little bit different versus my experience where you have very concrete, very uh, well-established long-term development plans with, with retailers in Europe. Mm. And what about US brands that are looking to expand to the UK and, and Europe? I've, I've heard anecdotal differences around buying behaviours and things like that. Maybe you could speak to that a little bit as well as what those you know, customer relationships look like? Yeah, I think um, I can use a couple of examples over the last few years, but I think Prime Energy is a, is a great one. I, I see it here, but it, it doesn't have the, the craziness that it, it had in the UK. Mm. You know, you take some social media stars, launch a product. TikTok penetration in the UK is higher than it is in, in the US mm. for, for quite a few younger demographics. So I remember seeing my local convenience store walk my dog, quickly pick up a pint of milk or something. There's kids queuing outside because they know that uh, a pallet of prime energy is going to arrive. And it's not not for me. As you said, I worked at Red Bull, so I'm a long-time Red Bull drinker. But it can be something that the market can be influenced really quickly. The other thing is you know, the UK fits inside Texas like three, four times. It's, mm. it's a tiny country. You can deliver overnight. You can deliver next day with most retailers. A lot of retailers have been doing that for a long time. So... It is a much more fast-paced market. People don't want to wait even two days to get a product, which mm -hmm. is why Amazon had to move to one-day overnight shipping. It's why other companies like Next have been doing it for years. I've also heard anecdotally packs, smaller pack sizes work better. People don't have the same amount of space in their homes as, as we do here in the States. Very true. I think um, that's where online can play an interesting role where so long as you're really open about what the pack size is, can you offer something that the the price or the proposition overcomes that barrier? Because yeah, we we don't have. You know, that was the first thing I noticed when I moved to the US, especially you know based out of the Midwest. It's huge one-story homes that that doesn't happen. We're nice, small, tiny little England, um, tiny little houses. So yeah, you 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 do have smaller packs, but you balance that with we have a lot fewer cars on our road versus the population. So actually, if you can offer convenience through online, if you can 
sell a, a large pack that's going to be delivered to my door the next day and I don't have to, you know, carry it back from the shops or have to go into into a major city to buy it. That's a different thing that you can do. So you can still sell large packs. I think you just need to dial up the convenience element for the consumer rather than just talking about price. Mm. Okay. I wanted to ask you about being a, a champion of change and, and all these companies that you've been at have undergone a lot of change. How do you think about advocating for progress within an organization? Carefully <laughs> would be my big learning from, from moving to the US. I think um, you need to understand within your organization why the change hasn't already happened. Mm. Not necessarily because there's a blocker, but because maybe the right people haven't been brought on board um, and you can't do it alone. A big believer in, you know, go fast, uh, go alone, go fast. If you want to go far, go together and you need to bring people on that journey. Mm. It's not always easy, especially if, you know, they've been working in a business for a longer time. They probably know the brand better than you and e-commerce might be a, a really new thing for them. So, yeah, go carefully, consider why they have their challenges. We, we try and do things. I've, I've done it in a couple of companies now where we'll go and sit down with finance and be like, guys, why do you not like e-commerce? Or what, tell me what it is. And they'll say, oh, it's not as profitable maybe. And you say, well, no, is it not as profitable? And then you actually go into it and they're like, oh, it's because of the operational costs. And you're like, okay, let's bring supply chain in. Okay, why do you not like it? Oh, because it's more complex to pick. Okay, so how do we work with our customers to fix that? Mm -hmm. And that goes back to what I was saying about making sure that the people you hire, they're going to be engaging fully cross-functionally with all different parts of the business. So you need to make sure that whether you're hiring from sales, marketing, doesn't matter, they're comfortable talking to people outside of their lane. Mm. Yeah, that's really great advice. I had um, Dean McElwee on the show um, recently talking about his book, E-commerce for CEOs. It's in my bag right now, about halfway through, so no nice. spoilers. <laughs> Look, I, I think it's a really good tool to understand the perspective not there's probably very little in there that's going to be new to to you but understand the perspective of someone who is new to e-commerce and what level you might need to take it back to to explain the concepts and the drivers and things like that one thing you said in our interview was like like yourself understand your audience as well there's going to be there's going to be people who are supporters of your message there's going to be neutral people and then there's going to be detractors and they all require very different kind of messages. So on, it sounds like your example of a finance team or a supply chain team, those can be detractors of e-commerce. Is there any other sort of tools in your tool belt around sort of helping detractors of the channel see the benefits? Yeah, I think uh, I'd also say... They're not, it's not always those functions. That's that an example. Yes. Let's yes. Speak I will yeah. be clear. I also have had some great advocates within yep. those two functions and, yep. and loads of others. But I would say, yeah, if, if you, the way to work around, the way I, I look at it is if, if you do have someone who is challenging you, they're probably challenging you for a reason. Is it because, you know, it's a real pain to pick for Amazon because you have this massive assortment? We've already talked about being able to reduce your assortment. Just understand what, what the problem is. Like, how do you, how do, you, how do you fix it for them? Because I've seen it before. If you fix it for someone in a different function, even if it's a little bit out of your lane, they suddenly will do anything that you need. And it makes the whole business move mm. so much more smoothly. Excellent. Okay, I'm going to switch gears totally to talk about AI, both leveraging it as a tool, considering it as a marketing channel. We were just talking off, off camera before 
about this. How big a deal is AI for you? How much do you think about this? You can't not think about it, I would say, because we're in an event and if you go downstairs, I'd say 25% of the, the vendors there are trying to tell you they can do something with AI. But look, I think in our industry, working in CPG or FMCG, whatever you want to call it, is it that big a thing? I'm, I'm not, not convinced. I think for, for people that are really locking it up, you know, the Nikes of the world have great online presence, fine. I'm sure they can find a, a great use for it. But in, in food and packaged goods, it's, I don't think that's right when you can go onto a major retailer and the content for a brand still looks not perfect. Focus on the basics. Make sure you get that right first. There's a buzzword every year or two. Mm. I kind of said the same thing on, an, on another talk about um, the metaverse when people were talking about that a year and a half, two years ago, NFTs, yeah. like all of that kind of stuff. That's fine. Do that. But do that if you have fixed all of the basic stuff first. A hundred percent. I love that. Not to say there's not a place for it. We're all using it to be more productive, but it can be a huge distraction if you don't have the basics right around content channel, you know, the, the financial aspects of the channel. Couldn't agree with you more there. <laughs> so very tactical question here. How do you think about allocating your media budget between top of funnel and, and bottom of funnel? I think it depends on the occasion. So uh, we're a chocolate company. Um, we obviously have quite a seasonal business. Russell Stover's number one season, and we are the number one brand at Valentine's Day for, for chocolate. Uh, number one, number two product. It's, it's just iconic, the Red Hearts. If you think about that season, internally, we jokingly call it the 48-hour season. And I, I'm not saying it's just men, uh, but I would count myself in this, so I'm, I feel like I'm okay to say it. But sometimes we do shop a bit last minute for these things. And so it's actually really difficult. You heard it here for yeah. first, folks. <laughs> I, I'm not pointing at anyone <laughs> in particular. Um, but uh, that means for occasions like that, you need to take a really different approach. You know, you need to be driving um, mental availability and top of mind awareness earlier in what you would think would be the season, you know, from January onwards. And then towards the end, in the last sort of, 48, 72 hours, you need to go really hard on specific conversion driving, lower funnel activation that's actually hopefully going to be stimulated by all the work you've done in the mm -hmm. past month or two. Mm -hmm. Yep. So contextual, that's very helpful. So anything else you would like to add for the audience? I know that you listen to this show, you listen to other podcasts in, in the e-commerce space, as do I. Any other parting words of wisdom or resources you're finding helpful right now that you can share? Parting words of wisdom. Uh, I would just say, I think, you know, we talked a little bit about moving into e-commerce, focusing on the basics, make sure you're, you're, you're good at that. I'll silently plug that I'm hiring for two roles right now. I would just say, if you're listening to podcasts like, like Kiri's, you, you know, even if you're not in digital e-commerce, doesn't mean that you can't just switch tomorrow. Have a, have a, you know, the fact that you're listening to this means you're interested. So figure out what you need to be able to do. Start talking to people, get yourself a mentor if you think that's going to be valuable for you and look at how you can move into that, that role because there's genuinely across the world a, a talent gap. We talked about AI, metaverse, all of those, uh, you know, kind of new, very shiny, very interesting things are snapping up talent that does mean a lot of the time you don't don't have the resources to fix the basics. Um, so we need more people to, to work in this industry. And, and that might be someone that's listening to the podcast right now who's not in it yet. 
It's a great hiring filter. If you listen to the podcast, mention it in your cover letter to Josh and he'll know that you're (laughs) legit. I love it. Happy to be part of that. Thank you for joining me, Josh. Thanks, Gary.